Christian leadership. We're going to talk about the Jethro principle. The Jethro principle in Christian leadership. We will talk about the Jethro principle. It's very important. I've heard people say, well, Jethro, you know, he was a Midianite priest. He wasn't like the true man of God and different things. But listen, the devil believe in one God and trembles, right? So the bottom line is the devil know truth. The devil know who God is. There are many people walking around today that may not be living for God. They know the word of God. And so the word of God is the word of God no matter who is speaking it. So I don't get into the whole thing of saying, well, who was saying that? Is he a true man of God? Listen, if I know the word of God, whether you're a true man of God or you're a true woman of God, it doesn't matter to me. If you're speaking God's word, I know whose word it is. That's correct. That's correct. And, and some of us understand, but, all of, but there's others that's going to question some things. But nevertheless... The Jethro principle is a powerful principle because Jesus came and reinforced it. <laughs> so let's go and take a look at this. So the Jethro leadership principle, there's a part one and a part two. We're going to get into part one and then we'll move along. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. We're going to do a lot of reading for... The first um, few slides, we're going to do a lot of reading for the first few slides because it is important to know. We're going to read Exodus chapter 18. We're going to read verses 13 through 26. So Exodus chapter 18, verse 13 says, And it came to pass on tomorrow that Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. So just get a picture of this. Moses is sitting around. The children of Israel are coming to him, presenting their struggles, presenting their challenges, presenting the situations that they're dealing with. And they're coming to Moses saying, what does God say about this? So they were going to Moses for answers. They were going to Moses to, 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 to hear what God would say to them about what they're going through, what they're dealing with. So that's what was happening. They're sitting around. Moses is sitting around and they're coming to him. Right. All right. So verse 14 says, and when Moses father in law saw all that he did to the people. So right away, Jethro said, you're doing something to the people. Right. He said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Question. Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning till evening? So Moses is sitting around giving counsel. And people are waiting in line to get, receive their counsel. And Jethro, his father-in-law, says, dude. What is going on? Verse 15. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God, 
when they have a matter, they come unto me and I judge between one and another and I do make them know the statues of God and his law. Isn't that wonderful that Moses is doing the work of God? Because that's what he's doing. They're coming to him and he's not telling them what he thinks. The Bible says that he is letting them know the statues of God, the word of God. So that's what he's telling. So Moses is doing what he's supposed to. Great guy doing what he's called to do. Thank you, Moses. That's wonderful. But let's look a little further. 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. Can you imagine doing what you know is right? Would you feel like this is right and I'm doing the right thing? And here comes this elder saying, what you're doing is not good. What do you mean, dude? I'm doing the work of God. Verse 18, thou will surely wear away. You're going to wear away both you and the people that is with you. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. So he's not telling him you, he, he was just terrible about everything. What he's saying is you're trying to do something by yourself. And what you're trying to do by yourself is going to wear you out. It's going to wear you away. And then the people that is with you, they're going to get worn out too. So the bottom line is you can't do this alone. So in the church of the living God, we can't accomplish God's will alone. Remember, God calls the body, calls the church the body. And when you go and you look at what the body does, he, he points out the finger is different from the hand. The, the fingernail is different from the toenail. The leg is different from the neck. And he's trying to tell you everything that's different. It's one body, but each member in our body have different operation and responsibility. That's what he's telling us. You can't do it alone. Whatever you're doing in church, and this goes to even your professional career, you can't do it alone. That's what Jethro told him. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for thy people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Can I tell you something? I can't say this enough. I was talking to, I was talking to my mom. Can you say somebody? Because I want you to understand the importance of what I'm saying. I was talking to my mom. And I hear her talking about some decisions that she wanted to make. She wanted to make some decisions. And, you know, my mom tend to be the one that's pushy. Maybe it's, most wives are that way. And that's fine. But she's telling me all this stuff. And I just felt just... Just, just like the Lord just dropped something in me. And I said, Sister Jackson, when I call her Sister Jackson, she knows where I'm going. I said, Sister Jackson, if you want to be sure that what you're going to do is going to be blessed and be a success, here's what I need for you to do. 
go to your husband and, and say to your husband, honey, I was thinking about this, but I would love to know if you can think about it and give me a decision on what you want to do. I said, I don't want you trying to convince him. I don't want you to stare at him. I don't want you to do anything. I said, I want you to go to your husband and say to your husband, honey, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And you're the head of this home. Can you make a decision on this for me? I said, and I don't want you to think about if he did the right thing or made the right thing. That's not your business. It's how it works. I have, it's something I've learned. It's a principle I've learned over the years in, in understanding God's way of doing things. And I said, we're not talking about sin here. Sin is different. You don't go to your, the, the head in your life, the leader in your life, and, and ask them about something and if they're going to deal between sin and righteousness. That's out of the question. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about simply the cares of life and the challenges that we have in our life. I said, go to your husband and say, honey, here are some things I was thinking about, but you are the head of this home, and I want you to think about it, read the Bible, pray to God, and, and, and come back with a decision on what you think we need to do. I said, don't worry about his decision. That's not your business. You have a husband. Just let him do what God positioned him to do. And I said, just when, whatever he comes back with and say he's going to do, don't let it be a burden to you. Just say, okay, honey, I'm going to stick with you on this. We're going to get it done together. I said, even if he told you the wrong thing, God got to make it right. God don't punish us for doing right. i say that again. God don't punish us for doing right. So if she go to her husband and he make a decision that probably isn't the right decision, she can't get punished. So that wrong decision has to be right for her. <laughs> Y'all ain't getting that. Same thing with the pastor of the church. Because we're talking about leadership and, and headship. Same thing with the pastor in the church. He may not be the smartest guy. He may not know everything. But when you go to him and say, Pastor, what's your thoughts on this? I, can you help me make a decision on this? And the pastor said, well, according to the word of God, word of God, here is what you should be doing according to the word of God. It doesn't matter how you feel. Just do it because you cover yourself. Now you, when you go to God in prayer, God, I went to the man of God. He told me to do this. I know you're going to back me up because you told us to submit to them that have the rule over us. Isn't that what you said, Lord? <laughs> you know, we, 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 we agree with God when it just works just right. But God says submit to them that have the rule over you. So if somebody is your headship, don't even worry about the, the, the decision. Just know I'm doing my part and don't do it with a bad attitude. Because what you're doing is you're saying when you do it with a bad attitude, whether you're saying yes or no, let me tell you what you're doing. You're saying, God, I don't like what you're doing. I'm not into this, God. And I don't really have a whole lot of confidence in you, God. That's what you're saying. He can't know this. He's not smart enough. He's not spiritual enough. I don't see a whole. He... I hear you. 
But you do your part and God cannot punish you for doing your part. How is God going to punish us for obeying his word? Tell me how that works. Anybody want to ask a question about that? Anything going through your mind to make you say, huh? Anything that you feel like, oh, that sounds right, but what about this? Anything? Come on. If there's anything that you think that, that seems unfair to what I just said, let me know. I'm just telling you how to be successful and blessed. And here we find Moses that led over 5,000 Israelites out of Egypt. God spoke to him. God showed great things through him. Him! Not this Jethro dude that's his father-in-law. But, but, his father-in-law is his elder. <laughs> you, you see what I'm showing you? There is no way Jethro knew God like Moses knew God. There is no way Jethro was more spiritual than Moses. But Jethro happens to be Moses' elder when it came down to his wife. That was his wife's dad. And so Jethro came in and told him something, and he listened. So let's go on and see how he listened and how he went about it and move on a little bit here. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter... Well, you know what? I don't think we read the other one. 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all people able men... Such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Now, one of the things I like about this is it's giving you the criteria. Jethro gave Moses the criteria for what kind of men to select to become leaders to help him. So he says, men that fear God. Well, let's go up further. It says, able men. So I think the first thing when it comes down to able, it, it must mean that you're, you're at least, uh, have some skills. You, you at least, uh, have some, 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 some skills to get the job done. You have some experience, something. You got something that makes you able to do the job. So you have to have something to make you able. Then you have to be a God-fearing person. God-fearing person, go back to what that long discussion I just had with you about understanding how to let them that have the rule over you make a decision for you and you not worry about it because you understand God is in it. So if you fear God, how many times you heard me said this, that submission has nothing to do with the person you're submitting to. Uh, if you're a wife and you're submitting to your husband, forget about your husband. <laughs> if you're a wife and you're submitting to your husband, forget about the husband. Don't look at him to determine if you need to submit or not. If you have to, if, if your husband have to be qualified for you to submit to him, you're never going to be blessed according to the Lord in that particular situation. Because he didn't tell you he needs to be qualified. The moment he came, became your husband, you don't have a choice anymore. 
But remember, if you really fear God, you're saying, I'm not really submitting to him. I'm submitting to God. So God will not allow him to take advantage of me. God will not allow him to make so many bad mistakes and destroy our home when I'm being faithful and I'm living right. Yeah, things can get bad, but I'm telling you, God will uphold you and bless you in the home if you do it right. Now, this is not doing it right. You submitting, but you're fussing and just always nagging at the man and giving him a hard time and fighting with him and, and, and maybe trying to submit, but you're doing all that. God is not into that. And so you're going to find that you're still losing out and you're going to say, but I'm submitting God. That ain't submission. Submission is taking on what that man says we're going to do like it's yours now. How many times you go to your work, brother Dow, you at work and you had your big board meetings and they made a decision. This is how we're going to start doing things. And you sitting around saying, no, in your mind, of course, no. I've been around this long enough. That's not a good decision. I don't know about you. I've been in those kind of meetings. You've been in those kind of meetings? Mm -hmm. But once that board meeting is done and you got to go back to your managers and your supervisors, you don't go back talking about, man, they messing up. If that's how you go back and communicate it, you've got problems now in your departments that you lead because they're going to know you don't like what the decision was and they're going to rebel because they feel like you didn't like it. So now your department is not functioning right because you went back like, I didn't like that. And you don't realize what you did to the rest of your staff. Yeah, you went and communicated what they said because you didn't have a choice because you would have been fired. But at the end of the day, you have, if you want to do it right for your department to keep doing right and for you to be blessed, you go back and say, all right, guys, here's what we're going to start doing from now on. I think it's a good idea and it's going to work out and we're going to be successful. And that's what you tell them. And when they hold on to it, they run with it like it's great. That's submission. You, you didn't like that decision. You didn't want to do that. Jesus says, nevertheless. I don't want to go to that cross no more. But I'm going to do it. That's how it works. And so they told him. The, the criteria for picking people that will lead. They said men of truth. Truth is the word of God. And so we have to allow the word of God. We have to obey the word of God. And then it says, hating covetousness, hating covetousness. This word covetousness is really saying deceitful gain, deceitful gain, right? Because the word covet to begin with starts with desiring something that belongs to somebody else. That's the word covet. But in this particular text, the way it's being used, it's saying you have to hate desiring deceitful gain. So when you're being a leader in, 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 in a godly situation, one of the things that you can't do, you can't be covetous. You can't be wanting something that belongs to somebody else. And you can't be trying to obtain things with deceitfulness. 
You can't you can't be leading in a ministry and look and says, I like how people are gravitating to Tom because of what he's doing. I want to do what Tom is doing because everybody like what Tom is doing. You're not going to be a good leader. Deceitful game. And then now you try to work Tom out of a position so you can get his position because you want to be the one to get all the, you know, and place such over them. So those are the kind of men you want to get and place over. That's what it's saying. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear burdens with thee. This is Exodus. Go to Galatians and it tells you, bear ye one another's burdens. <laughs> God's word don't get twisted. So this is good. This is Exodus, the second uh, uh, book in the Bible. And, 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 and Jethro is telling them, telling Moses, put a team of leaders together so you all can bear the burdens together. And Moses, you don't need to bear the burden by yourself. At the end of the day, this is God's work. And so we're in this together with God, and so we are to bear the burdens of God. So you're not bearing the pastor's burden per se. Yes, a lot of times the pastor will communicate vision and we get behind it, but at the end of the day, the pastor's vision is usually the work of God. So the burden that the pastor's carrying, that we all will join in with the pastor, we're saying that we're going to carry the burden of God with the pastor. Not sit around and say, go ahead, Pastor, you do it. <laughs> All right. If thou shalt do this thing, and God commanded thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. He said they will go home peacefully, and you'll be able to endure the things. But the way you were doing it, Moses... Sitting around and there's a long line going around, going around the tent. And people keep coming. By the time they get to you, they're tired. They can't even tell you what the problem is because they're so tired. If you, if you do what I'm telling you, Moses, you won't have to worry about that anymore. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. I'm pointing out to you again. Moses was a more powerful man that new God, that God used to deliver over 5 million people, Israelites, out of slavery. God used Moses that kind of way. But yet and still, Moses is taking orders from his father-in-law who have never experienced the power of God like Moses. That's how powerful submitting to your elders are. That was his father-in-law. So his father-in-law had higher rank than him. Okay, father-in-law. It works. It works when you just say, in your mind, ah, I don't like that. But you know what? I'm going to accept it. And with a good attitude, I'm going to work with it. That's how you get blessed. That's how it works. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard 
causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judge themselves. Back to leadership in Christ-centered church. When I choose leaders in Christ-centered church, or I should say God choose leaders in Christ-centered church, I am going to let them lead in their particular position. And they should not be overruled. They have to lead in their position. If I start as the pastor, Sharon, if I ask you to lead something and you're leading it and somebody comes to me and says, I don't like what Sharon is doing. I don't think this is right. They could be right. But I am not coming to you to overthrow you, Sharon. That's not how I work. I'm going to say to that person, you need to go back to Sharon and work with Sharon. If you can't work with Sharon, then maybe you need to take a break from that ministry. That's what I'm going to tell them. I need Sharon to be respected in the leadership position that she's in. Because if every time someone complain about you, um, Luke told me you did this, Sharon. What's going on? You're going to feel uncomfortable in your position, which makes you not really great at what you're doing because you're going to second guess everything because you don't want pastor coming to you asking you, what, what happened with this? I can't do that to you. And if I do that to you, I hurt the entire church. I can't do it. So it's not about not correcting people. It's about when you set a structure in place, let the structure work. Let the hierarchy work. When it's in place, let it work. If you go and mess with it, then you're going to find yourself as the leader one day doing everything. You're going to go back to what Moses was doing. I'm going to, after church, everybody's going to be coming up to me saying, Hey, pastor. And I'm going to be here till, till, till if we get out of church at 1230, I'll be here from 1230, 3 o'clock if there's stuff happening because I've taken away all of the responsibility from my leaders. And they will just be figureheads. We can't do that. Don't work like that. So we have to learn how to work with each other. Here's another principle we have to learn. We have to learn how to even go back and forth and maybe, maybe even get to a place of arguing and, 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 and settle it though. I'm not saying don't settle it. You might even get to a place of arguing, but settle it before you leave out. Settle it. And sometimes the settling might be, listen, Tom, I'm in charge of this. This is what I'm doing. Either you get on board or just Sit down for a second here. Let me keep doing what I'm doing. Sometimes that's how it gets settled. And you can't go to that person. Who you think you are? They're the leader of the ministry. And the bottom line is, all of us have to know how to follow to become a leader. All right. We'll keep on rolling. Jethro principle. Jethro principle. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. All right. The Jethro identifies the problem. Listen, remember I told you all, please, as leaders, don't deal with symptoms. As leaders, don't deal with symptoms. Symptoms is this. Moses. Don't you see the people tired? They standing all day looking and waiting for you. Don't you see that they tired? Moses, your wife and kids ain't spending enough time with you. All you do is at the church all the time, taking your whole day at the church. Your children and your wife is not getting any time. That's dealing with symptoms. 
Jethro dealt with the problem. The problem is you keep doing that. You're going to burn out yourself and you're going to just have those people burned out as well. So Jethro dealt with the problem. We can't be great leaders if all we deal with is symptoms. You put it in the natural. If you have a headache every day, stop taking Tylenol. Stop taking Advil. Go to the doctor and find out why you're having headaches every day. Because it might be you have high blood pressure. It might be you're always dehydrated. That's the real problem. You're dehydrated or you got high blood pressure, but you keep on popping Advil and Tylenol because you got a headache every day. Don't deal with the headache. Find out why you're having a headache all the time. So burnout was the issue. Jethro looked at the situation. He identified the problem right away. Identify the problem as a leader, then go ahead and get it resolved. I like this. Psychology today. 90% of people who come for advice just need someone to listen to them. 90%. The other 10% need medical help. <laughs> oh, man. Jethro defines Moses' role. Prayer. Prayer is very important. Be thou for the people of God word that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. I love this. Any concern too small to be turned into a prayer is too small to be made into a burden. Let me translate that to you in case you missed it. So, if you don't pray about something, don't go talk to nobody about it. Because by going to talk to someone, what you're saying is this is a problem to me. This is an issue to me. Well, if it's an issue, go to the person that could resolve all the problems. His name is Jesus. So if it's a burden, if it's a problem, instead of going to talk to people about it, go pray about it. So that's what that's saying. Any concern too small to be turned into prayer is too small to be made into a burden. So all of your concern, go and pray about them before you start trying to get somebody to help you with them. Have you prayed? Whatever it is that you're dealing with, have you prayed? Go back to the, the, the previous thing that we said, that 90% of people, they, they're not looking for you to tell them how to resolve their issues. They just want you to listen to them. So they want to you know, take up two hours of your time so you can just listen. Because even if you give them advice according to the word of God, they won't do it. Because all they really wanted you to do was listen. So the best thing to do as, as, as a person that's trying to help people, the best thing to do is just say, listen, have you prayed about this? Pray until you get an answer from the Lord. B, preparation. Preparation. Study to teach. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you're going to teach. Study. Let, let me tell you how we're a small church, so I got to use me as an example sometimes. It's not a good thing that I got to use me. I'm, I'm hoping to use you all and, and quickly. But since we're a small church and we're just getting there, I got to use me as an example. Many years as I'm walking with God, 
and I, and, and when I became a minister, many years, everywhere I'm going, check this out, I would study what it is that should happen in that particular setting. Because I, I say this to myself, what if? So I would go to a funeral. As a minister that is, I'm going to a funeral. You know what I do? I go study how to do a funeral. Nobody told me this now. I'm just trying to tell you I go. I would go study, Brother D, what they do at funerals. And I would go and I would I highlight scriptures in my Bible. And I would have my Bible with me when I went to the funeral. Why? I don't know what's going to happen. Is the, is the pastor going to get sick? So I studied in case something went wrong so I can just jump right in. Preparation. Whatever I was doing. When I went, before I went to the hospital to visit people. All right, Lord, I prayed. How do we approach this, Lord? You know, when I go, how do I talk to them? How do I pray? I'm always studying to know how to do what I need to do when I get to the place where I'm going. Preparation is very important. I mean, obviously, preaching to Christ-centered church. Huh, I ain't going to tell you how much that, how much study is in that one. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. If there were more perspiration in preparation, there would be more inspiration in presentation. (laughs) If there are more perspiration in preparation, there would be more inspiration in presentation. Listen. It is said, it is said that a preacher should spend eight hours throughout the week preparing to preach his 45 to 50 minute to an hour sermon on a Sunday. That's what's supposed to happen. I don't know what everybody else is doing. I'm just telling you what's supposed to happen. So that's what this is telling you. If there is perspiration in your preparation, so if you're working to get this thing done, on throughout the week if you're a Sunday school teacher you start looking through your lesson maybe Monday so church is over Sunday Monday morning or Monday afternoon you start looking at your Sunday school lesson and you start kind of going through it start highlighting stuff and making notes then as the week go on you, you study scriptures as You just keep on working at it so by the time Sunday morning comes again to teach your Sunday school lesson, you don't even need the Bible. If there were more perspiration in presentation, there would be more inspiration. I'm sorry, if there were more perspiration in preparation, there would be more inspiration in presentation. Very, very awesome. See leadership, modeling. Leadership is modeling. Okay? See his leadership. You should have that on your page there. And thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk. To share a message that moves people, it must be one that moves you. Hmm. That's a big problem there. Listen. I talked about intellectual faith the other day. I talked about it. At our prayer meeting the other day, and I talked about it last night at our revival service. We have intellectual faith, and we got to get past that. Intellectual faith meaning we have the knowledge, 
but we won't do anything about it. We have to start letting the message move us. So having the faith that we need to have, the knowledge of who God is, and we put works behind it, that means it's moving us now. And when we're moved by the message, when we communicate it and share it with others, they will be moved as well. People know when you're communicating to them by just demonstrating your intellect because you're intelligent and you're smart. They'll walk away saying, that person was pretty smart. But the message will do nothing. Remember I told you about the guy that used to go to church with me. And when we used to go, and we used to go downtown Trenton in different places, and we used to go and witness, and sometimes even the Muslim guys downtown Trenton would come up to us, and we would kind of go back and forth in scripture. That guy used to walk with me step by step. He didn't want to walk with nobody else when we went downtown to witness. He only wanted to walk with me. Come on, man, I want to walk with you. And the only reason he wanted to walk with me, because he wanted to gain intellectual knowledge. He didn't care about the message moving him. He wanted, when I spoke to the Muslim guys, and they said, blah, 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 and I said, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, let me write that scripture down. You know what Brother Wayne just said? That's how he lived his life. I don't even know if he's in church today. Because all he wanted was the intellectual knowledge. He wanted to know how I flipped through the scriptures quickly. How you get there? Yeah. All he wanted to know was get the information. And if we're... Christian people, all we want to know is to get the information. We won't be able to affect anybody's life. We would, because remember, the information is not even affecting your life. You just have it stored. So if you have the information stored, then when you transmit it, it's just going to be as storage for somebody else to. Won't be anything that will move anybody because it's not moving you. D, equipping. Equipping. Empowering. And the work that they must do. Exodus 36 two, And Moses called every wise hearted man. In whose heart the Lord had put wisdom. Even everyone whose heart stirred him up. To come unto the work to do it. The book of Acts. The model of leadership in the book of Acts. Some of us familiar with it. Then the twelve called the multitudes of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the work, or I'm sorry, should leave the word of God and serve tables. Check it out. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who may... Whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So you had some disciples that their job was to study, to pray, and to minister the word of God. Then you had some other disciples, their job was to distribute food and take care of making sure people had food in their home and they ate and everything was good. And so when a, when a, when an argument broke out, the disciples went back and says, what is going on? Cause guess what? We have to work this out. Cause we can't stop doing our job to come do this job. Back to what I'm telling you when I put somebody in charge. 
When God puts somebody in charge, I can't leave pastoring to come do your job. And, and, and really, that's what I'm doing. I can, be, I can think I'm doing something all I want. I'm, if I have to keep helping somebody, it means that I'm neglecting what I need to do and coming over to help you all the time. I'm going to neglect my stuff. If you got to keep helping somebody with what they're doing, you're neglecting what you're supposed to do. So the real deal is, listen, maybe we can meet a couple of times and I can help you, but I can't keep helping you do your job. Either you can do the job or you can't. If you have a burden for the job, you will seek out the right people to help you with the job. Brother Easter was telling me he had a burden for Sunday school. And, and it turns out he was a great Sunday school director in his church. And then he became the Sunday school director of the, of the entire district. But when he became the director of Sunday school, he had the burden for Sunday school, but he didn't know how to do the job. Because doing the job meant... You have to call speakers up. You have to invite them into the district. You got to make sure their hotel reservation is good. You got to make sure they have a nice basket in their rooms. You got to do all this stuff for them. And he didn't know all that. And so he was like, I have a burden, but I don't know how to do it. And he kept on seeking people out until he met the right person that says, all right, let me help you out with this. And he learned it and he killed the job. He did a really wonderful job for eight years in his district, Sunday school director. So it's very important to, if you know your job, seek out somebody. If you don't know your job, seek out somebody. The burden is the first part. A desire and a passion to do the the work, that's the first thing. Don't worry about how much you know. If you have a burden and a desire to do it, you go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I really feel strongly about doing this. Don't worry about your experience. Pastor will help you with experience. He will send you to the right people or he himself will help you get there. The burden is important. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. All right. All right. For the perfecting of the saints, here's an answer for your answer sheet. For the perfecting of the saints, equal preaching. Preachers are the ones that help to perfect the saints because the preaching of the word is what perfect us. The preaching of the word. For the work of the ministry. Saints. So everybody can't be the preacher. Everybody can't be the preacher. Everybody can't preach. Not literally can't. But everybody should not be preaching. Is what I mean. Because if everybody's preaching. How does the other stuff get done? Right? Nobody. What they said. All all chiefs and no Indian. What are we going to do? For the work of the ministry, saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ, growth. Growth. All right, now we get into some quotes here. John Wooden won 10 NCAA basketball championship, seven in a row. The guy who puts the ball through the hoop has 10 hands. I don't know if that's always true anymore. That was true back then. Yeah, because they weren't as selfish back then. Back then they passed. You know, if somebody took the ball out, passed this guy, this guy passed it. And so by the time somebody scored, everyone has touched the ball. Golden State still do it. But, 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 but back in the day, that's how they really played. Everybody touched the ball. And so by the time the ball goes in the hoop, especially in college, by the time the ball go in the hoop, everyone has touched it. And that's why he's saying 
10 hands put the ball in the hoop, not just two. So it's usually just one person that shoot shot the ball. But what he's saying is everybody touched it and everybody has two hands. So it really took 10 hands to put the ball in the hoop. Ooh, look at that. If you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, one thing you know for sure, he didn't get there by himself. Just look at that picture. So if you ever see that, you say, who in the world put that turtle on that fence post? Because that turtle didn't get up there by itself. You can't get anywhere by yourself. I can't get anywhere by myself. I need you. You need me. We can't get there by ourselves. I love this one. This is a quote. I love this one. Teddy Roosevelt. The best leader is the one who has sense enough to pick good men to do what he wants done and self-restraint enough to keep from muddling with them while they do it. I love that. that that's top notch. That's really good. That, that, that's, you're looking for good leadership? That's good leadership right there. This is why you keep hearing me saying, I'm not getting involved and I'm not messing with no, anyone. If I find that you can't do the job, eventually we'll get there. You know, you might even get to the place where you said to me later on, you know, Pastor, I really thought I could have did it. I, I could have done it. But boy, oh boy, I didn't know all these challenges and I just feel like I can't do it. So maybe you need to find someone else to do it. So it's okay. But the bottom line is, if we're going to be good leaders, we have to pick a team, pick some folks that can help us. And once you show them the job, let them do the job. Don't try to dominate them. A leader that cannot teach and train and be an example is not a leader. I've, I've done this over the years. Again, once I get to know more of your stories, I'll use your examples. I've done this over the years, and people always get mad. As I grew through the ranks in, in corporation, I used to promote people with leadership skills. And not people that knew how to do the job real good. And people used to really get mad. Why he didn't promote Tom? He knows how to do the job. Look, every day he's at the top of the list. And how he handled the calls. And every day he's at the top of the list. Tom is just good at handling calls. Tom can't lead people. Because he's just not a good example. He's just not one to, to, to show people how to get the job done. He's, you know, I tell him, train them. We bring new people in. We say, do side by side and see how they do Man, we look, Tom going, you got, the next day the guy or the gal coming, we say, put them with somebody else. Because Tom was getting worked up. Tom was getting upset with them and, and, and they were uncomfortable with Tom. If you can't teach your job with ease, with patience, with kindness, you, you're not a leader. You're not leading. You need to get some leadership qualities because you got to get the people and you train them and show them how to do the job and just back up off them. Let them do it. Let them make mistakes. They'll make some mistakes. Let them make it. Just pull them to the side when they make the mistakes and let them know. Every ministry, we're small now, but as we move forward, we can't, listen, we can't operate like a small church, even though we're a small church, because if we operate like a small church, we will stay small. So, if you happen to be a leader over a ministry, 
I'm going to be looking at you saying, so who have you been recruiting to help you with your ministry? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Who have you been recruiting? Who are you training? When you're not here, how will the job get done? All right. The five steps, the, 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 the five equipping process. The five step equipping process. First one, model. Second one, mentor. So when you model, you do it. Right? So you're doing it, somebody's paying attention to you. Mentor. I do it, you are with me. Monitor. You do it, and I am with you. Motivate. You do it. Multiply. You do it, and someone is with you. Let me go through this again. Oh, yeah, this is good. Uh, <laughs> so, you're going to train somebody how to be, let me pick on Sister idea. You're going to train somebody how to be a greeter. You're at the door standing. What you say is, Today you're going to stand with me at the door. Just don't say anything. Just smile. Stand right next to me and watch me. That's what you're saying to them. Right? And so they just stand there. They say nothing. They do nothing. They just stand and watch you. Right? So that's model. You're doing it. They're with you. Three, you do it and I'm with you. So after... A few weeks of them watching you, you're going to say, now we're going to switch position. You're going to be the one greeting the people as they come in. I'm just going to stand next to you and watch you. And so as the people come in, you watch them greet. When the people go by, that was good. You had the right smile. Great, great. That was good. And you stand there, somebody come by, and, 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 and they was distracted. And the person, um, they greet them even though they were distracted. Go by, then you say to them, listen. You were a little distracted when that person came. You seemed like you weren't prepared for them. You didn't seem like you was ready to greet them. You got to be on your game. You got to see them from afar coming. You got to see from that door open out front. You got to see that door open. Make sure, you know, if you got to spray your breath, make sure you got to have the smile ready. And, and as soon as they hit the door, then you greet them. All right, all right, all right. So you try it again. And you just keep on watching them. And as they do it like that for a few weeks, you know what you say? You have been fully trained. You're good. Now, what you got to do now is do what I did to you. See, it doesn't stop when you start, when they start doing it. You have to let them know that once it's over, it's there. Oh, I got I got one that I can do. Okay. So I met Brother Henry. I, can, I don't remember how many years ago, right? Met Brother Henry, a few, you know, some years back. He lived in New Brunswick. With his girlfriend. Well, his girlfriend didn't live there yet, but she would spend a lot of time there. <laughs> so I would come every Monday, me and another brother, and we would teach Brother Henry. And um, sometimes girlfriend was there, sometimes she wasn't. Man, I remember some nights, it was hot in that apartment. We had to open up the kitchen window. Lord have mercy. We had to open the kitchen window in the middle of winter. The middle of winter, we had to open that kitchen window. It was so hot in that place. But anyway. <laughs> So we we taught the Bible study and we went through and we taught Brother Henry. And what I told Brother Henry was, 
one day you're going to be doing this with somebody else. That's, that's the point I'm giving you today. One day, Brother Henry, you're going to be doing this for somebody else. And so said, so done. He went to the Bible study. He gave his life to God. His girlfriend, um, which is his wife now, gave her life to God. Everything is great. But the bottom line is he started teaching Bible studies. Now, that's when you know you're getting the job done. When you reproduce yourself and the person you reproduce yourself in start reproducing others. That's when the process is working. That's what that is. That's what that is. Amen. Tom, the cross looked good. Amen. <laughs> yes, sir. Teach somebody how to do another one. There you go. Organizational plan. Leaders. Hey, leaders. Here we go. One thousands. Remember, remember, this is going back to Jethro thing. One hundreds, fifties, tens. Now, no single leader personally responsible for more than ten people. Listen, for some reason, I think I invented this the, the team leader concept. I don't know why I think that. I just don't know why I think that. I just know when I started working at our company, when we started working, there was a supervisor and there was an assistant supervisor. And that's all it was. And when I started getting my little promotion, I came up with the idea, we need to have team leaders in every section. So, I don't know. Ever since that, I've been seeing people doing team, team leadership in their companies. But I understood that in order to encourage people and motivate people, you had to have opportunities for them. And so when there was just only a supervisor and assistant supervisor, eventually I said, we got to create team leaders. That's under the assistant supervisor. And so we had different, we had four different sections. And in every section, there was a team leader. God has helped me a long way. The stuff I came up with, man, that had to be the Holy Ghost. I tell you, because I didn't know any of that stuff. But the point is on this, no one should have more than, more than 10 people that they're in charge of. Even the person that's in the 1,000, he's managing other people, but it's only 10 people. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to go. So, in case you all don't know in Christ-centered church so far, here is what I've done on the hierarchy chart. Probably need to talk more about it, but... And sometimes I'm trying to motivate people. But in Christ-centered church, you have what we call, um, what did I label Brother Henry? Brother Henry, what did I label you on the, on the chart? I know for Brother Scarlett, I have pastoral assistant. And then on Brother Henry's side, I had... Huh? Yeah, I know it's a coordinator, but what kind of coordinator I said it was? Outreach coordinator? I think so. Okay. Okay. So here is, I, I have it like this. Brother Henry, outreach coordinator. Brother Scarlett, pastoral assistant. And then my job as pastor. And everything flowed down from those three positions. So really, if I'm operating real good, 
I only meet with Brother Scott and Brother Henry. <laughs> so really, I'm only meeting with two people. Now, we're not set up for that right now, and I'm not going to exercise that right now. I'm not going to tell you. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm showing you how this thing is supposed to work. Okay. Okay. So, so it will be outreach coordinator, youth um, uh, uh, leader, and pastoral assistant. So three people is who I would work with because all of the ministries in the church fall under those three people. That's how you shorten the gap so nobody's overloaded. So when you have a meeting, you don't have a thousand people sitting in the meeting and everybody screaming, ah! No, you just deal with three people. And as the church get bigger, it will be four and five and six. And we just keep on going. It might get up to 20. It might not be 10. But I'm just saying, that's how you limit. Can you imagine? You have a church of a thousand. But all you're meeting with is 10 people. That's how, that, that's how efficiency, it, it, it needs to be efficient that way. That's called efficiency. That's the way it works. Just 10. All right. Qualifications, B qualifications. Verse 21, moreover, thou shalt provide able men such as who fear God. Fear God means submission. Remember I told you, it's not about the people you submitting to. Boy, that's a, that, that, that's a message that will save your life and you don't even understand. It's never about the person you're submitting to. You submitting to God. You saying, God, if this is your order, I'm following your order. And it doesn't matter who the person is that I submit to. I'm following your order because I'm looking to you, Lord. Men of, men of God of authority are men under authority. We said that before, that you will never be a person of authority unless you're under authority. We stop for the policemen when they pull us over because we know the authority that's behind them. But when they're off duty and they're not working and may not even be carrying their gun, you see them as just a regular guy, regular gal. So you got to be under authority in order to have authority. Young men as ox to slaughter, slaughter. And I'm going to move along. B qualifications, verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide able men such as men of truth, equal integrity. Men of truth. Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Man and woman. Give them power and see what happens. Quality means doing it right when no one is looking. Qualifications. Verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide able men such as hating covetousness. Means humility. Humility is not self-abasement. <laughs> I remember that. Let me tell you what that means. Go to churches and people talk low. Hey, my brother. God, God, God bless you. Oh, God bless you, man. 
We call that self-abasement, meaning we're making ourselves low. Man, because you talk low, that will make you mean. You can talk low and still be arrogant. You can talk low and still be boastful. So we used to call that humility. Hey, my brother, God bless you. And the lady, oh, hi, sweetie. Oh, stop it. Humility is not self-abasement. It is exalting others. So humility is, man, you just do such a good job. I, I, I hope to be as sharp as you are one of these days because you're just so good at what you do. That's humility. And you're not, make, you're not making that up. It's just really, you watch that person and you realize they're really that good. And you just go to them and say, you're just outstanding in what you do. I hope to be as good as you one day. That's humility. Humility is taking rejection without resentment and praise without pride. That's Tinny. Tinny, don't play around. <laughs> Humility is taking rejection without resentment. <laughs> I got a funny story to tell y'all. So the other day, I had a conference call with some, um, some men, right? And after the conference call, we had recorded the conference call and... Um, some of the men didn't get a chance to be live on the call. And so as I was getting to start the call, we started recording. I said on the call, I said, man, you know, I, I asked, I said, I asked the secretary to record this uh, conference because um, I know we probably would have some people that couldn't join in in the call. I said, if I followed my fleshly desires, I would say, Hey, why can't they take the time out like we can take the time out to be on this call? I said, that's what my flesh say. But because I am going to do my very best to make sure God's people are blessed, I asked the secretary to record the call and we're going to email and text the call out the next day so everybody can hear. And it was like, great. okay." And so it went on. So one of the brothers that wasn't on the call, call send a text the next day and said some stuff. Hey, man, I hear that, uh, you know, you saying that, you know, uh, you wouldn't be in the flesh. Just by you saying it, you in the flesh. And we don't want to know on and on about the text. I didn't, I didn't, I, I'm going to tell you the story, the funniest story. So then another guy ch- chimed in and says, oh no. The man of God was right. He was dead on. At least we could have sent a text to say, can't make the call. And we didn't do that. He was right for saying what he said. I still didn't. I still didn't think anything about it. So the guy finally called that, that sent the first message to apologize. But here's the, the funny thing. When he called me to apologize, he said, I just want to apologize, man. I know I always find myself apologizing. I keep making a mess and I got to apologize. I says, apologize for what, brother? He said, well, the text that I sent. I said, I thought the text message was to somebody else because whoever responded, I thought they thought it was for them. <laughs> But I'm serious. I wasn't even lying to him. It's after he apologized, I went back to look at the text message trail. I said, oh, that was talking about me. That was funny to me. That was so funny. He said, man, I'm trying to apologize. I said, for what? So I had to go back to look at the text trail. I said, oh, yeah, he could have been talking. I never thought for one second the guy was talking about me. Oh, God. I I said, no, I didn't know. I said, don't worry about it, man. Let me tell you, I don't know if, if, if God, I keep saying God built me this way and I can't take credit I, and, and I'm hoping that other people can get it because man, it's so liberating. I'm, I, I don't have a whole lot in me that make me hold grudges and resent people. I don't know what that is. 
it's been like that all my life. Like, I just get over stuff like, whatever. I don't know. That might mean something is wrong with me. I just don't care about nothing. I don't know. But I just never let anything like, I'm just like, okay. People will just say stuff and, and I'm rolling with you next week. And you're like, man, he was talking about, I'm just, was he? I, I just don't get, I don't know, man. I don't know. I can't even, I, I, I never take in credit for that. Because I just feel like it's just probably part of, I keep saying God gave that to me because he knew what he was going to do in my life. I feel like I was born with that because God knew how he's going to use me. And in order to effectively use me, I could not have resentment. And I can't be all worrying about stuff and like, you know, you know, hurting for months and weeks about stuff that go wrong. I, I, he just never put that in me. So sometimes I'm oblivious to stuff. And I'm just like, huh? I don't know. I think it, it was funny, though, when dude said, man, I just want to apologize. I'm like, for what? I thought he, he was talking about somebody else. <laughs> he laughed after that. He says, you know what, man? I need to just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I still didn't comment on that. <laughs> Verse 22, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. Minister to people. Minister to people. Listen, we try to make that word, I don't know what we try to make it, but when you are talking to someone and just kind of comforting them and just kind of helping them according to God's word, you're ministering to people. So ministering don't have anything to be to, to do with being behind this pulpit. It's just being able to talk to someone, to encourage them, to, to edify them, to make them feel better. That's ministering. Minister to people. As church grows, the pastor hands on ministry. Decreases while the congregation hands on ministry increases. Y'all caught that? So, so when church is small, pastor is all involved in everything. Everything. But as the church starting to grow, pastor's hand in everything decreases and the People in the church, their hands get involved more. They increase in what they do. Minister to people. People really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Years ago, I told my friend as he was getting into the ministering thing and, and, and trying to learn how to be a minister, I said, my friend... We have to learn how to love people. We have to learn how to be able to care about people, how to be friendly to people. Again, it's another thing that people might have seen me and think, he's just being phony. And all I'm being is a soul winner. Brother Darrell, people won't listen to you no matter how much truth you tell them if they feel like you got a problem with them. It's just the bottom line. Yeah, if, if people think that you have an issue with them, or if you think they have an issue with you and you don't try to do something to resolve that, you will never be able to minister to them. I told my friend a long time ago, if you're going to be able to minister effectively, you got to make sure. And so a lot of people thought I was a politician. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but, you know, because I try to get along with everybody, Brother Henry. It, was, it had nothing to do, again, I fear God. 
That's what it comes down to. And we can misunderstand that fearing God. I fear God. So what that means is, God, I don't want to mess up your people. So if there's somebody in the church that I need to minister to, I don't want to get to that place where because I act shady with them, I didn't talk to them, I treated them wrong. Now all of a sudden they're going through and I may have some some wisdom that I can help them with and I can't help them because something went right with me and them. You've got to make sure... Stuff is right with you and people. Because hell ain't no joke. Hell is real. And if you make people be in a place where they, they, they can't be able to be helped, they're going to go to hell. If we can't help them, they're going to go to hell. And it's unfortunate sometimes people is caught up in, you didn't look at me right. You walked by me, you didn't talk to me when really you were so focused and locked in. I try to do that. I'm like that. I'm, I'm one track mind. And so because I'm one track mind, sometimes you try to tell me something, I'm not even hearing you. And I'm just going through. And then, then so the good news is I'm glad that I kind of have that. Hey, Lukey, what's happening? See, I got you smiling there. I'm glad I got that. Because if I didn't have that, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Because I walk past people all the time and don't even talk to them because I'm just so locked in in what I'm getting ready to do that I never I can't hear anything. People talking and I'm like not hearing. And they think I'm being funny. I'm just just not hearing because I'm so locked in. My wife had to tell me today, pick up the you can't pick up the garbage. Two garbage at the door. You were there when she said that. Two garbage at the door. I'm locked in about what I'm getting ready to do. I can't see nothing. I'm just blind, dumb, and deaf. Well, I'm just telling you, I couldn't hear anything. I am. I have this bad habit about me that when I have to do something, I get locked in and I lock everything else out. I do. That ain't good sometimes. But that's my deal. You got to care about people in order to help people. And let them judge the people at all seasons. Every small matter, they shall judge. Be a problem solver. Not mess with a, what we said, a symptoms. I love this. Every leader carries two buckets. One full of water and one full of gasoline. Y'all know why? There you go. You got to start a fire sometimes. And other times you got to put out a fire. Does that work? You know, you come to church, don't let it be just me. You come to church and you feel like people are dead in the church. Like, like try it out tomorrow morning. Come to church and if you feel like people are dead, you got to say, I got to start a fire in this place. They dead. Don't let it be me, the only one thinking that. No, when you come in and you feel like things aren't warmed up and people aren't ready, just say, I got to start a fire. And just start worshiping or start praying or start doing something. But carry some gasoline with you. And then when it comes down to your personal ministry in the church and people acting up, you got to figure out a way how to squelch it. Kill the fire. Kill the noise. You got to figure out a way how to do that. So you got to carry water and gasoline. Be accountable. Responsibility without accountability. Futility. Responsibility without accountability. Responsibility with accountability is credibility. Teach. 
God statues. The things that thou has heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach also. Brother Darrell, Brother Tom, Brother Scarlett, Sister Sharon, Brother Henry, Sister Suzette, Sister Hydea, Sister Danielle, my wife. Here is what you guys hold me accountable to. And we got to do it. Brother, Brother D, I told you this the other day. Um, we got to work at this. The people that are faithful, my responsibility is to spend more time with them than the ones that are not faithful. That don't sound right. Oh, good. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Here is the deal. It goes back to what Jethro told Moses in some respect. People, 90% of the time, just want to get your ear. They just want to talk. If you spend a lot of time with those people, you will hurt the rest of the people. Because you will not have enough time of yourself to minister to the other people that's really faithful. And when... This lesson I'm teaching is from Brother Hodges. He came here and taught leadership. And when he came, he made this statement. He says that you will always, the, the church is set up like this. 20%, 60%, and 20%. 20% are top level leaders that's faithful and just, 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 they, they go getters. 60% are people that are just average. They do enough to keep things going. And 20% are people that don't do anything. They just come. They're just here. And they will never probably grow. Brother Hodges said, I spend no time with those 20%. Everybody, he was talking to pastors when he said that. Everybody was like, whoa, you're a pastor. Man, you supposed to love everybody. He didn't say he didn't love them. He said, I spend no time with them. He said, the only time they get from me is when I'm preaching. Because they're not interested in changing. And if I spend time with them, I'm going to waste my time. What he said he did was, he spent 80% of his time on the 20% of the people at the top. 80% of his time with the 20% at top. And he pours so much into those 20%. That they will minister, the 20%, minister to the 50%, the 60%. And the 60% are the only ones that will, if there's going to be a change with those 20% at the bottom, the 60% is the only one that can probably reach them. We waste a lot of time with people that's not about nothing. If, that's, if you want me to give it to you nice and plain. Brother Dow shake his head because he he work in corporation. He knows how it works. Yes, sir. It's funny because corporate America is different. Uh huh. For what he's teaching, they they want you to spend most of your time with that sixty percent. Mm hmm. That's where you're going to get the most change. That's that's what they say. That's what they say. But your most effective people are who you're supposed to spend time with. You don't want to lose your most effective people because it's going to put more load on you. And the most effective is those 20% at the top. That's just high performers. That's who you spend your time with. And even trickling down in your local ministry, when you start to build your team, spend a lot of time 
with the people that's right under you, that's really faithful and they're doing it. Spend time with them because they're the ones that make your job easier. They're the ones that get it done. So we have to make sure we spend time with faithful people and the ones that's not faithful. Go back to the thing that I talked about. We're almost there. Go back to the thing that I talked about when we first came about what has changed in the past 15 years in our world. That's causing us fit our fits to get our life together. Brother D says social media, our phone. And my question was, well, how can that affect us when it wasn't like laws that changed? It wasn't like them saying that we got to be in our homes, you know, you know, now, you know, at a certain hour and, you know, making laws that says that, you know, we have to work more in order to make more money. None of that changed. It's just your phone, social media. That's the only thing that changed. But our life has changed drastically because of that. How are we going to blame it on anybody? That's us not having the control of the social media. That's what it comes down to. It's like the drive-through principle. It's already in your hands. That's what it is. got to decide. My daughter now says, Mommy, I don't want fast food today. I want slow food today. <laughs> she really do say that. She wants slow food. You, you see what I'm saying? She got sense. I want slow food. Because we're just running after the fast food. And she's like, no, I want slow food. So what it comes down to, we have to start checking ourselves. This is what people will do to us. And you got to be careful of this. People will text you to make you respond to them. Uh, 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 uh. You got to learn how to handle this. People send text message for you to respond. They send it in a way where you must respond. So now what they're doing is they're, 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 they have now barged in on your personal time and you're letting it that's what they do so the question is what are you going to do about it so I, I gently tell people from time to time listen if I don't get back to you right away just give me some time I'm not always available not always available you know what I'm not available when I get out of church on Sundays I'm not available not available. It must be some crazy emergency. Really and truly, I will not lie to you. My wife and children can swear for me. When I go home on a Sunday, my phone is someplace else. It's really not in my hand all the time. It's either I'm either using it to stream something or it's sitting somewhere. But that's where I take for myself. I says I'm done with everything because the whole week was long and we've had great church and God has helped us. Now I'm done. So from this time that I'm in my house till tomorrow morning Monday oh no no nobody getting me not even my mom gets me she knows that nobody getting me no it's my time and I've learned I, I, I told people my oldest children I, I didn't do them right back in the day I ain't had time for them all I can focus in is Jesus I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't take the time out enough I didn't take enough time out well I got I got some sense now and I'm taking the time out you need to take the time out. Don't let no don't let anyone control your life because of this phone. That's all I'm saying. You don't have to respond to every text. You don't have to go on Facebook and look what's going on. Because I hate to tell y'all, I'm looking on Facebook now, and the biggest thing come to my mind about Facebook, brother. Do you want me to tell you what's the biggest thing that come to my mind about Facebook? Facebook has given people who just didn't have nothing better to do a platform now. 
people that's doing, go back to Facebook and look. People that's really doing something, they're not on Facebook. Very seldom. When they're on Facebook, it's because they're trying to tell you something real. Go back and look. I look all the time. I says, these people live on Facebook. So Facebook has provided a platform for people that really wasn't doing anything. But now, I mean, I look at stuff. Good Monday to everybody. Uh, I don't know. They just, <laughs> I don't understand it. Happy hump day. I'm having fried salmon and rice and peas today. If you're really about something, how can you have time to post all these?